Hi everybody, I'm Jay Worthy and this is the podcast for anyone trying to inject some adventure, purpose and balance into their lives. 28 Summers is all about living life adventurously, seizing the moment and optimising your life. In this second season of 28 Summers, I'm building upon those messages in season one with the help of a series of incredible guests who are all in their own individual ways, living life to the full, following their passions and ultimately living an adventurous life every single day. My guest today is James Gearing. James is a former US firefighter who moved from his home in the UK as a young man to the United States. He became a firefighter and that was his childhood dream and a job he loved and took great pride in. But losing colleagues through disease and illnesses which were ultimately preventable prompted him to start asking questions on why more was not being done to help first responders handle the trauma they often experience. As a trained sports scientist, he had a passion and interest in health and well-being, and before long, he made a big decision. He lined up some guests and launched the Behind the Shield podcast, a show aimed at bringing the greatest minds in mental and physical wellness to the men and women who serve their communities. James became so focused on the importance of the messages his guests were sharing that he ultimately left his dream job and directed his pension and his passion to fueling this project. This episode is a great listen for anyone looking to pursue their calling and to find meaningful work that fulfills them. James is so down to earth and spreads some strong messages in this episode about the care we should give to those who put themselves in harm's way to protect us. James, welcome to the 28 Summers podcast. I am so excited to have you here on the show. Your podcast is one that I've been following uh, for a couple of years now, not since it started, but I found it a couple of years ago and I've been a a regular subscriber ever since. So uh, real pleasure to have you on here. Thank you for coming. Oh, it's my pleasure. Honestly, I love I love being a guest once in a while because, you know, when you're normally the the interviewer, um, you know, it's it's so nice to pick people's brains where every so often it's kind of cool then to to kind of pass on what I've learned from all the people that I've got to talk to. You've been going for about four years now and when you started out I believe you were uh, still a, uh, a serving firefighter so maybe take me back to 2016 and I'd love to know a little bit about why you decided to launch the podcast and what the journey's been like uh, since then. Yeah well I mean it was really born out of um, tragedy really um, I had been a firefighter by that point for 12 years, I think it was. And the previous two years, um, we had buried six firefighters and each is a separate incident, a host of uh, reasons from heart attack and uh, autoimmune disease to suicide and overdose. I mean, just you know, the whole gamut. So having a background myself as an athlete and uh, a coach and an exercise physiology graduate, I knew that there were people with answers to what were killing our men and women. Um, and so I listened to podcasts, uh, Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, Barbell Shrugs, some of these other ones. And so I'd hear, heard all these guests that had really, really interesting, powerful solutions to the issues that we had. And, and it's not just in the first responders, it's, I mean, obviously it extends past that. So I was looking for a podcast that was similar in you know, my world. And it just wasn't one. There, there was some great ones on leadership and you know, operations and tactics, but nothing on the wellness really that was focused on that. So that message, you know, if, if you can't find it, that's your sign to do it yourself. That was kind of it. So I was still working at the time doing it around shifts, which was definitely challenging. Yeah. But I just, you know, Tim Ferriss, I listened to one of his and one of his best pieces of advice was, you know, don't wait for the perfect time. Just, just go for it, pull the trigger. So that was exactly what I did. Lined up six guests and, you know, put it out there. And then here we are four years later. Four years and 394, I think maybe even slightly more episodes, which is, which is amazing. Did you ever, went back then when you decided that you were going to do this, did you ever imagine you'd get four years down the line and nearly 400 episodes? No, and I think that was for a good reason. Purely because I always wanted the focus to be on the content on the message. So I didn't have, you know, you hear all these, these influences, so, you know, so you got to have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. Well, 24 hours is about as much like a muster normally. So, <laughs> um, so it was just making sure that each one that I put out was good. And even to this day, you know, I listen to some, like, ah, yeah, I don't feel like I got the right, you know, enough connection with that guest, or I don't feel like I prepared properly. 
Um, so I'm constantly, you know, critiquing and trying to trying to improve on that. But uh, as far as did I think it would be where it is now? No, absolutely not. I had no idea. So it's beautiful because to me, as you know, with podcasts, it's not like social media where you have likes or followers. It really doesn't guarantee any real dissemination of information. It might yeah. just be that they've all seen your cat on a skateboard. But with a podcast, you know that when there's a download count, that means that people have heard the person that you had on. And to me, that's so powerful. When I have you know, guests that have literally life-saving stories or information, every single download means the potential that you might have helped save a life. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and I know when you launched, so you were still serving. So what's the, what was the reaction like when you decided to do it from you know, your buddies that you worked with and you're trying to edit this podcast? I mean, you know, back then, uh, how did they react and how has that changed over time? I have heard the phrase, the prophet is never received in their own land so many times <laughs> from so many people that have, have tried to affect change. And it was kind of the same. Like where I was, was I worked with some good people, but overall the agency was extremely complacent. So it was not welcoming to anyone that was trying to push the envelope, you know, right. push change, improve. Um, but even so, I hear that story from other people, probably in much better agencies too. So I think it's, I think people are threatened when you are, you know, challenging the system a little bit. And what I was doing was obviously unique and different. Um, but then, you know, I would have friends say, oh, I listened to this one. It's amazing. And, and as it grew, I think this is the most powerful part. I could then prescribe episodes. So if I was in my firehouse and I knew someone was struggling mentally with their sleep, with you know, nutrition, I could literally say, all right, listen to episode X. Right. And then, and then we'll talk, you know, and then, so that, that was kind of cool. But yeah, I do find that when you, when you do things, you know, whether it's podcasts or books or, you know, whatever it is, um, especially if it's coming from a good place, obviously there are some very narcissistic projects out there too. Um, but you know, it, it, it does, it does get people's hackles up a little bit and you do have to kind of stand your ground because it's not, you, you'd think like, a lot of these people that you see now that are you know doing great things that everyone just kind of applauded their attempts and was behind them but that's actually not the case especially in the fire service so right. they don't like change very much but everyone outside my agency it's been extremely well received so i mean that's that's what's more important yeah that's right that's right and that really resonates with me and i can imagine you know you're within the agency and you're trying to affect change um you know you're you're considered a bit of an outsider but you're on the inside so <clears throat> i guess it's really it's really hard to kind of find that balance i know you subsequently left the the fire service now so so does it does it feel easier now to challenge the kind of the status quo given that you did serve in the fire service and now you're on the outside so you've got that kind of foot in both camps Absolutely. And it was funny because I, I will always give credit to Jocko Willink for my decision. Mm. I don't think the outcome is what he intended, but we were talking about affecting change. And, um, you know, I, I admire him incredibly. I have all his books. Um, but, you know, his thing was playing the long game. You know, you just got to wait till there's a change of the guard. You got to promote yourself. And, and neither of those two, I hadn't seen either of those two work in, in my 12 year career up to that point or 14 even. Um, by the time I retired out. And so what I also saw as we talked before we started recording is when you work in an agency, you can't speak freely. You know, there's just some things, and I'm not talking about, you know, speaking negatively, just speaking constructively, you know, um, a lot of people will, will be just be told to stop, stop that project. You can't do this anymore. You know, their PIO, their chiefs, whatever. So what I realized is by retiring um, and reinvesting my retirement into to pay myself, a, all the organizational stress went, all the, the, the walls I was banging my head against disappeared. And B, I was truly free now to advocate for all the, the men and women in uniform and reach out to all the, the people that are making changes in those professions and bring them to all the other agencies. So it was, it was very, very liberating. Um, and I think it was the only way to truly do this properly. But I mean, it literally meant me walking away from my dream career to do it. But the core of why I became a fireman was to help people. And now I'm still helping people. So as long as that mission stays on, on track, 
if I'm not wearing the magic trousers, as I call them, you know, women yeah. love the firefighter pants. <laughs> yeah. Um, even if I'm not wearing them anymore, you know, that's more about my ego than, than the mission. So, right. That's so powerful as well. It's an incredibly brave decision to, to retire from the profession you love and then, you know, take your pension and start plowing it into this project, which is, you know, at its core, incredibly altruistic, right? You're trying to help uh, fellow firefighters. Um, it's amazing. I, I want to touch on uh, your, you mentioned that it was your dream, your lifelong dream. So it's, I mean, it's hard to walk away from something you love in any situation, but knowing that it was your lifelong dream, you wanted to be a firefighter. I think when you were, you were born and living in the UK and, and you only realized that dream when you, when you moved out to the US. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's funny in one respect. Um, when I was at school age, as, as you remember, you know, there's a certain time where you start having physicals and you do the eye charts and they give you that book of, of numbers that some kids can see. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't one of them. <laughs> so that was the problem. I could see some of the numbers. I couldn't see the others. So I was told back in, you know, it was just the 80s that I was colorblind. And you can't be a pilot, you can't be, a, you know, in the Air Force, you can't be a firefighter, you can't, basically anything fun. It's just basically shattered all my childhood dreams. Um, and I literally, literally spent the next decade and a half wandering around, you know, like not be able to find the right career. And I, and I found some really cool ones. Um, but being told, you know, that you can't do your burning desire was, was uh, pretty rough. But then now when I look back, the age I was at, I don't know if I would have been right as a fireman back then in the UK. I don't think I was big enough. I don't think I was mentally tough enough yet. Um, so what happened, not being the sharpest tool in the box, is when I was in my late 20s, I had married a girl from the States that I met doing stunt work. Um, and we moved to the US. And right before that, there was a copy of Muscle and Fitness. And there was a Miami-Dade fireman featured in there. And it talked about you know, his job. And he was a firefighter. And he's a paramedic because we do both here in, the, in, in America simultaneously. Um, and so I was, that fire was re, kind of reignited. And I had this epiphany like, oh, wait a second. I can see colors, which I know, you, you know most people would be like, why the hell did it take you 15 years to figure that out? But it just it did. <laughs> so um, I kind of realized, well, hey, next time I go to any sort of physical that's going to get in the way, I'm just going to ask them to name things in the room and I'll tell them what color they are. And that's exactly what happened. And they checked me off. And that was the beginning of you know, my career in the US. So I think it was just fate. You know, at the end of the day, it was destiny that I wasn't supposed to do it in the UK. I'm sure if I'd become a fireman at 18, 19, this wouldn't be happening now. So um, a very unusual journey. But that was kind of why I became a fireman in the U.S., rather than the UK. I love that. That's such a great story. So, so you moved out and then, you know, we've already talked about the, the start of the, uh, the podcast journey, but so many episodes, you know, close to 400 episodes and you had had some incredible guests on. I mean, I think every, every episode has been wonderful, but there have been some, some really big names in there as well. I'm curious that, you know, given the, the content and the subject matter, right, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's all about kind of living more healthily and you know really kind of um living a more optimized life and looking after yourself that you must have learned some great stuff along the way or just some of the strongest messages you've learned on the way or some of the most inspiring stories um well if i i always say if i was to change two things that i know would save a huge amount of lives um first one would be drug prohibition seeing the knock-on effect of drugs being illegal, seeing the, the foundation, you know, the, the, the uh, genesis of drug prohibition after the epic failure of alcohol prohibition in the US here, and how ultimately it was based on a couple of, or like a department justifying their jobs and systemic racism within that department, um, and seeing the death and through, destruction through my eyes now, because I've worked on the East Coast and the West Coast in America, obviously there's there's a huge amount of violence around that, you know, the, the homelessness, the, um, you know, the prostitution. I mean, so much to that comes out of drug prohibition, which ultimately people turning to, to any sort of drug, alcohol is, is a mental health crisis. It's not, you know, the drug. I mean, yes, there are addictive qualities, there's no doubt, but it's escapism at the end of the day. So to drive these men and women into the shadows and, and, and put power into the hands of criminals just because of this one rule that we made up you know, 100 years ago, 
that has been huge. So as I have asked different people, Johan Hari is an amazing person to, to ask about that. Um, I sat down with the gentleman from Portugal that spearheaded their decriminalization. They had huge, huge success. Um, that's a very powerful message. So that's one I hope that we, we see. And I know we're kind of piecemealing it with marijuana, but to me, it's addiction. So we're not talking about the smugglers. We're not talking about the, 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 the dealers. We're talking about the addicts themselves, taking them off the streets and putting them into you know, treatment programs. Um, another huge one is sleep deprivation, especially in our profession. Um, the, the impact of sleep deprivation on every single element of health is completely understated you know it's so so bad and, and obviously it pertains to first responders but it also pertains to doctors and nurses um so you think about who we lent on for covid19 that's an entire sleep deprived you know overworked group of men and women that we've leaned on that in my opinion are more vulnerable than a lot of people because we work them you know into the ground um so understanding sleep deprivation and sleep quality and sleep hygiene is another another huge one so if i was going to pick just two yeah. Out of you know all those, the two through lines. If you really want to make a huge impact, because even with things like obesity, obesity ultimately is you're going to find is is predominantly a mental health issue as well. You know, I mean, people that feel great about themselves that are happy are not going to turn to fast food and junk food all the time. You know, they're going to want to be outside. They're going to they're going to have that interaction between you know nature and exercise, and then the fuel they put in their body. You know, so I think that the obesity and the mental health thing is another one. So all these kind of interrelate. But if we could decriminalize addiction in, in the world, you know, the whole world, because the UK, the UK entered drug prohibition from pressure from the US. So we originally didn't have it. And a lot of the things that are illegal now we used to use to treat people. And even to this day, the insanity that a British or an American soldier has to go to a different country to get the treatment for their PTSD is absolute insanity but that's exactly what's happening at the moment I'm curious as well because there's some there's some big uh, meaty topics there that you've raised raised to the surface and, and what role do you think you play so having this podcast and interviewing these guests and is your role spotlighting these issues so that others can become aware or do you feel a burden to kind of campaign for some of these things that you begin to feel strongly for? Um, you see, and that's just it. It's not campaigning. I think that's the problem is we get things rammed down our throat. So people close up immediately. And I see, you know, it's, it's so funny seeing the, the response to the mental health stuff, the, the PTSD things I used to talk about day one. And there was a lot of the old school knee jerk reactions. Well, now four years later, people are, much more apt to talking about it, to, to being open, to admitting they're struggling too. And so I think a lot of that is because of the long form conversations that people are having, not just me, you know, all over the, all over the world. But I think the podcast medium, you know, some of my conversations are four plus hours long, you know, I mean, not, not most of them, but some of them are whatever length of time it takes to lead someone down the path where they're not allowed to interrupt that you can hit, you can hit stop. You can stop listening to the podcast, but What's beautiful about, for example, Johan Hari is to allow them to lead you through the inception of drug prohibition. By the time you get to the end, most people are going to be like, well, that's, that's shitty. Like, how do we, how do we still have that? You know, and then, or a, a prison governor in Norway talking about the way they do prisons there and their you know, very, very low recidivism rate. The initial knee jerk is going to be like, no, the initial knee jerk of drug prohibition is going to be you know, no, no, we've got to lock them all up. But once you're led through and you understand, now you've sowed those seeds. And I think that's what I'm hoping to do. It's not campaigning. It's just when I have, you know, members of the special operations who talk about how opium is funding terrorism, you know, all these kind of lines intersect and you start building, not a case, because it sounds like you're trying to, you know, every, everything is loaded, which is not, but there's an organic understanding that there are some central themes that create so much pain and death in the world. And if we address those common denominators, we can truly affect so many issues that we encounter. Can't argue with that. Looking at your followership on Instagram, you've got nearly 14,000 uh, followers. And, and so that feels like this community. Do, do you encourage conversation across that community? Do you engage with them a lot? 
um, how do people react to the podcast and, and uh, you know, what kind of questions are they contacting you with? Yeah, so it's interesting. It, it, it's a very positive community, you know, and I'll, I'll be completely honest. If someone's a dick on my social media, then I'll just block them because, yeah. I, you know, that's not what it's about. It's about, you know, I, I try and post a lot of positive stuff. It's not my own stuff. You know, most of it is sharing other people's, you know, and, and I'll, I'll do my own kind of videos once in a while. But again, you have to be careful of the narcissist element, I think, in social media, where it becomes all about you, you know, a positive quote, and here's a picture of me with my shirt off, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but so, but it is, it's beautiful. And you start seeing these interactions. And sometimes when I post, you'll see these, I'm not even involved in the conversation. These people are going back and forth. But, you know, say drug prohibition, you'd be, oh, but this worked in Portugal. Oh, but I don't believe this. Ah, but here's, here's why. Oh, really? I'll have to look into that. And you see this, this intelligent conversation un unwrapping you know, on, on more so on Instagram, I'm not a big fan of Facebook, but Instagram seems to be, I don't know, it just, it, it seems to be the one that draws out the most positive thinking. So I, I like that because I can disseminate information. I can share positive, you know, stories that I've come across and some funny stuff um, because we get all the doom and gloom on our news. So I want it to be another place. And then obviously it's a place where I advertise the, you know, each guest as well. But that being said, I think that the, the impact of social media is kind of overstated as well, certainly for me. Like, you know, when I post something of value, like, hey, here's, here's this you know, new episode with this person, you really must watch it, the interaction is very low. But if I do a spinning kick on a fire hydrant for the bottle cap challenge, you know, it goes viral. So it's, that's kind of, you know, heartbreaking in a way. I wish it was the reverse. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so having that community is, is, is brilliant, but I think the organic word of mouth that I see with the actual press play on the podcast is, is the only, only real metric, but I know that that's obviously tied in with Instagram and yeah. like it's, a, it's, another, it's another alleyway to go down for you know, some feel good stuff, some funny stuff and yeah. no, no negativity because you know, they're blocked. <laughs> Yeah, right. I love that. I, I completely love that notion of blocking people that are, that are not positive. And, and um, I feel like Instagram just generally as a social media platform is way more positive um, than a lot of the others. So, so that resonates with me. How, mu how much of your, uh, your kind of guests that you have on the show is driven by your community saying to you, hey, James, you should interview this person. That'd be great. Uh, versus you going out there and just kind of organically looking for, for new, new potential guests. It's an absolute mix, which I love. Like I literally every single message I get on Instagram, I, you know, read and respond. And, you know, when people recommend someone, I'll look into them. And as we mentioned before, you know, my only, my only prerequisite is that they're good people. So it doesn't matter to me if they're, you know, in the mining industry or, you know, work at boots, you know, whatever, if, if it's a good person with a good story, I'm always, you know, open to that. And so I love it when people do reach out and I try and bring as many people on and obviously try and remember who it was that, you know, connected me or recommended it and give them a shout out to. But then now what I'm seeing is a lot of the guests I had on there, they also reach out and be like, Hey, this is a friend of mine. I think you'd, you know, he'd love this person. Um, so just yesterday I'm trying to get these two brothers that made the documentary nine 11 and also the Netflix uh, documentary November 13th on the Paris attacks. And through that, another podcaster reached out to me and she'd had them on. She sent me the email and now I'm going to get her on, you know, so it's just this beautiful community of just human beings. And like you said, you mentioned big names. There are some people out there that are well known for good reason, you know, and I think people should all know them. But there are so many powerful stories of people that no one's ever heard of. And, you know, so I try and make sure that that's that's never a thing that you're not chasing someone because of a name or because of followers, but you're just looking for, you know, good human stories that people can, can learn from. Yeah. That uh, massively resonates with me. I'm, I'm obviously at the start of my podcast journey here with 28 summers. So I'm you four years ago, but, um, but that's, that's definitely a, a filter for me is not just chasing, uh, you know, big names or numbers of followers, but, but actually looking for really meaningful stories that, my listeners can connect with. And, you know, 28 Summers Philosophy is all about living life adventurously and, you know, not waiting to make those changes, right? You know, just being out brave enough to say, okay, I'm going to make a change and I'm going to do something different with my life because I'm stuck on the, the hamster wheel. So um, 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's perfect. Uh, and I love the idea that you're getting that your guests are actually helping generate other potential guests as well. That's that's pretty cool. So I love your concept too because I think that's it. And there's no more fitting time to embrace that concept and not not like um, you know be in fear like oh I've only got so many days left. I need to yeah. work myself into the ground every day. But just having an understanding that life is short. I mean, none of us know what's coming next. But what is, is definite is that you have the ability to do something good in this life that you've got. So right. right now, I feel like people are being castrated with their freedom, you know, with the COVID thing. You know, I mean, there's, there's definitely an element of, of medical necessity as far as some of the isolation, some of the precautions. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of people that really struggle with that motivation in the first place have had their legs cut from under them. I see a lot of the gyms are empty. You know, our gyms are open here in, in Florida, but they're they should be slammed. The message should have been, you know, hey, COVID-19 affects the weak predominantly. So now's your chance to take control of your health. And that's not the case. So I, I love the fact that you are putting that philosophy out there. Like, you know, you need to get out there and, and do something. And it's 28 summers. Like get outside, you know, right. go, go smell the, the fresh air and go stand on top of a mountain and, and realize how lucky we are and what a beautiful thing the human body is. No, I, I think that's well said. I should probably get you to start writing the blurb for the uh, podcast. You did a great job of summing up what 28 Summers <laughs> is all about. But I, but I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, I think like, like with a lot of uh, kind of ideas, it, it, was, it was based in personal experience, but it's not about me. Uh, it's about, you know, I, I went through this experience of having a very adventurous childhood, a less adventurous kind of younger adult life and realizing that I wanted to get that adventurous spirit back. I had a guest on, on the show a couple of weeks back and Katie Friend, and she was saying she wanted to recapture that kind of childlike feeling, you know, that energy, that enthusiasm you get where you're just insanely excited about something that probably shouldn't be that exciting, but it but it is because you allow it to be. And we, I think to a certain extent, we've had a lot of that uh, kind of managed out of us by, by society. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's really nice to hear you say that. And that's absolutely the, the intent here is to just try and help people realize that right outside their front door, there's an amazing world. Um, you know, there's nature, uh, there's positive mental health benefits, there's, there's activity and there's enjoyment right outside your front door. Um, yeah. And so yeah, getting people to just take that first step, I think, is uh, is, is really the goal. Yeah, and the, even physically. So I'm I'm battling oh, battling such a dramatic word. I'm I'm trying to fix uh, a niggling knee injury. I had meniscus tears on both of them, and they had the little you know snip. I'm going to call it repair because it's not. They're just cutting a piece off, whatever you call that. <laughs> yeah. Um. But uh, and it just kind of regressed a little bit. So even physically, like I'm 46 trying to recapture some of that physical wellness so you can play like a child again. Like I, I love CrossFit and I do, you know, the rope climbs and the handstand walks and all that stuff, which I think is very childlike, but even some of the, the locomotion on the floor and some of my mobility has definitely regressed now. So I think it's, you know, 46 is young. We reframe yeah. it as old, but it's not at all. So getting, getting yourself physically where you feel like you can play like a child. Cause I think that's a challenge for a lot of people in their, you know, forties, fifties, as they feel like an old person. Mm -hmm. So I think understanding nutrition and exercise and how much you can fix with patience and diligence to the point where, you know, you can be one of these cool 70 year olds that you see on social media that are still, you know, just crushing it and, you know, physically and mentally. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm a father of father of four, and so for me, that's definitely a big driver of why I want to keep my mobility and and keep active. You know, I want to be around to be able to, you know, climb mountains with my grandkids. You know, so that's a that's a strong motivator for me. And uh, I mean, uh, you know, also not just moving, but also, I think mental youth is key as well. So you know, that's that wonder when you see things that are amazing, like being being able to be amazed by them and not so, uh, so kind of subdued by life and, and the hamster wheel that you're, you're no longer amazed when you see an incredible tree or, you know, an incredible sunset. Um, and they're, they're things that I think for a lot of us, we've just got so stuck in the day to day. We, we've become kind of blind to them, right? We, ha we, don't, we don't see them anymore. And so I, I'm hopeful that through the conversations I have with guests, I'm helping people just 
see them again, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's gratitude as well. I think sadly we, we've really been dragged away from understanding what a miracle life is and how lucky we are being born in the UK and the U S um, and, you know, I, it's definitely partly because of TV. There's no question. I mean, you're constantly bombarded with what you don't have, you know, rather than being reminded what you do. Um, but I, you know, I, I love that philosophy that if you're in a state of gratitude, it's impossible to be depressed or anxious. I think yeah. that's so true. But when you're in your own head and you're thinking about bills and work and traffic and, you know, all this other stuff, you, you're never present. You know, and it's easier said than done. Most of us aren't walking around like Zen, you know, monks. But to take a moment, you know, leave your phone at home, go walk around the park without your phone and notice the birds and the trees and, you know, the, the, the cool winter air on your skin. And maybe don't even dress as warmly as you normally do. You know, allow yourself to feel a little bit more. Get in the ocean when it's too bloody cold, you know, all these things. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I think that's, that's something that we really are missing. And sadly... You know, TV was originally created as a propaganda machine and it's worked so well, but obviously now more so in the, in the corporate world. And yeah, don't get me wrong, I watch TV and we're doing this over a cell phone now, but you have to understand the dose. You know, you have to yeah. dose your exposure to those so that you don't become so bogged down with, with the, you know, the, the, the things you see through a screen that you forget to see through your own eyes, you know, what's actually around you. I think that's right. And, and I, I think it's so well said. I feel like one, one, of the, one of the missteps that we probably have made is that we, uh, we kind of got a bit centered on perfection as the goal rather than progress. So you see, you see all these people, you know, who look perfect on TV or in social media and you, and you then uh, inwardly chastise yourself when you don't look like them or perform like them. You said we don't we don't wander around like Zen monks every day. And I think, you know, I've talked a lot about meditation on this podcast. And, and I think for a lot of people, it's really binary. They think, well, if I can't meditate every day, then I, I just can't meditate. But that's completely untrue. Actually, you know, meditating once a week could be super valuable for people. And that's better than not doing it at all. And so you know, I think just just being a bit kinder to ourselves and just allowing ourselves to, you know, to be good some of the time is a, is a good thing, right? Yeah. Well, you mentioned Instagram too, and I think that's one of the problems I've seen. I don't think it's even deliberate. I really don't. But for example, you know, I love I follow a lot of the uh, you know the fitness industry. Um, obviously, that say the strength and conditioning industry rather than fitness specifically. But um, you know, so I'll see Klokov snatching more than I can deadlift, you know, and I'll right. see, you know, Dave Durante doing the most insane stuff on his handstands. And there is an element where there's a part of me that'd be like, well, what's the point? I'm never going to be able to do that. I'm never going to do bar stars. Why should I try and learn pull-ups? You know, and it's, it is sadly, you have to kind of recalibrate that these people have spent their entire life doing nothing but that thing that you're watching them do. So, you know, you can either do that and become you know, a gymnast and do it every single day, you know, do, um, either portals like three hour plus workouts every day, and you will become really good at that stuff. Or you can take a little bit and, you know, and, and do some hiking and play racquetball and walk your dog and not worry about being the best. But just like you said, just, just take small doses and you'll look around a year later and be so much better than you were a year before. I think that that small doses message is really powerful, James. I think, um, you know, these baby steps are much more sustainable for people and the incremental, the kind of the aggregation of those, those gains is what's really valuable to people. Uh, and yet human nature is a bit like we decide we want to lose weight or we decide we're going to be more active or we decide, you know, we, we're going to get out and run more. And, uh, and then it's all or nothing, right? We're still all the way into it. And so, you know, I think that, small dose message that you just gave is is really powerful and it, and it speaks to taking things slowly easing into it but it also speaks to balance is like you're not get not getting your whole life out of balance and focused in too too much of one area so i love that well just a perfect segue really so without being too focused on one thing we've talked a lot about your podcast um but you've also got other creative interests underway so i know you just recently just a couple of months ago i think released your book um, so one more light. So can you tell us a little bit about what made you want to write a book? What's the book about and how's it being received? 
Yeah, absolutely. So right when like everything started at the same time. So about four years ago, I started the podcast. Um, I started a Facebook page called uh, The Dark Side Project, and it was purely to try and address the stigma of everyone else is doing fine. So, you know, that, that was a kind of standalone project. People downloaded videos of wherever they were at. Some of them were in crisis, in tears, in a bed. Some of them were doing well, saying, here's, you know, what I did to fix it. So that all kind of came up that same time. But also, I came back from a call at my station one day and laid down. It was like 2 a.m. And I just couldn't sleep. And we'd had, you know, like I said, a lot of deaths. Some of them were suicides and overdose. And there was just this kind of mental health thing churning in my head. So I got up sat down at the computer in the fire station office and wrote a blog, the first ever blog I'd written called, uh, I wish my head could forget what my eyes have seen, which is a quote from a Detroit fireman in the documentary Burn, but so pertinent to you know anyone that's seen anything that, that you know, no human should see. And so I wrote this piece and I think I put it up on social media and I went to bed and then when I woke up, it had just taken off, it had gone viral. And so that really kind of made me realize, all right, there's, there's a need behind closed doors, people, this is what they're actually feeling. Um, so obviously that spurred some of the direction that some of my interviews and, and guests went, but also I kept writing. And then for, I think it was about two years on and off, I do blog posts. And then I thought about turning it into a book. It just sat in my shelf for forever in my mental shelf, I guess you'd say, because it, it just wasn't ready yet. I didn't have, I did, didn't come together. Well, about, I think it was the beginning of this year, just the kind of stars aligned, obviously COVID hit, which made sure that we were all, you know, in, in our homes. And so I said, well, screw it. I'm just going to write this book now. So I took some of the blog posts, expanded on them, you know, made some other chapters of, of areas that I wanted to storytell and then bring solutions to and then put it together and then the the title was absolutely inspired by the lincoln park song because one more light is about you know the, the the lyric goes who cares who cares if one more light goes out in the sky of a thousand stars i think it's a thousand a million maybe um but anyway it's it's about caring for each life every life should matter period you know it's, it's if you have to question that concept then you you know need to choke yourself as some people would say <laughs> you know i mean it's it's a very basic thing so but Police, you know, fire, medics, doctors, nurses, they actually see the, the impact of elements of life and whether they do save a life or not, whether they cause death. And so that was really it. Through my eyes as, as a fireman and as a paramedic, you know, the, the, the fallacies that I've been told versus the realities behind the curtain, metaphoric curtain, um, I'm like, all right, I, I want to tell the story of what we see but I want to bring solutions to each of these chapters as well. So it begins with a, a story of my life or my career, but it's not a biography. It then transitions into, you know, here's, here's what I learned. Here's how we can help improve this area. Um, and so that's another medium. Then the podcast is completely free. You know, it's, it's out there 400 episodes almost, but there's a lot of people that don't know what a podcast is. Don't listen to podcasts. Don't have the time. They don't commute for a long time. And so I wanted to have another another medium to put some of the solutions that I'd learned as as my career, as my journey through fitness, and then as all the amazing guests that I had on, and put it into um, you know a, a storybook that has solutions, or well, not even solutions, that plants seeds to steer people towards their own solution rather than say this is how you fix it. That's great, and I know it's early days, but how how's it being received? Um, good so far. I mean, the, that's that's just it. Um, I heard, I think it was you in one of your interviews mentioned about worrying about downloads and then yeah. getting a message from someone reaching out saying it made a difference. This is exactly that. So it's not flying off the shelves by any means. It's, it's, you know, it's selling every day, which is beautiful, but the feedback is amazing. So, you know, it's got basically five stars and all the comments are nothing but positive. And I think the reason being is I'm not masquerading as an expert. I'm just trying to, like I said, sow some seeds, taking yeah. you know, knowledge from, from a lot of people that I've learned, things that I've applied to my own you know, life, like back injuries that I've healed and that kind of thing through uh, movement practice. And so you know, I think that's just it. It's not trying to be more than it is, but 
just like you were saying in your conversation, if it helps one person, it was worth it. You know, I've recouped the cost of what it cost to write. So now it's out there for the world. If it ends up being, you know, the next Harry Potter, then great. <laughs> if it doesn't, then, you know, but I guess to the people that need to, to read it, yeah. then, then also great. So, um, yeah, because I, I don't like the whole promotional thing. I mean, I, I'll definitely try and get it in the hands of people that I respect. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think after you've written a book, what happens next is really up to the universe in a way. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's beautiful. I think um, that desire to help people is clearly strong. I'm curious to know where the motivation comes from, James, because, I mean, we've spent the last, whatever it is, 40 minutes or so talking about all these, uh, all these projects and focus areas and, you know, it's clear it's clear to me that you have a really strong desire to to help others right so where does that come from um well i mean definitely my parents they were both you know are both very good people uh, very kind um not like they were out in soup kitchens every day but we my dad was a vet veterinary surgeon so obviously i grew up taking care of animals so there was that side but even yeah, there, there were moments i remember like we had a a gentleman, his name was Edinburgh, who was a, you know, a homeless gentleman. He was camping on our farm drive and they ended up bringing him to the house and you know, he stayed with us for about three days, I think, and bought him new clothes and all that stuff. So just seeing that kind of inherent kindness, we, my dad would literally work from everywhere from, you know, gypsies. He'd do, you know, like some free work for, for some of the gypsies that came through all the way through to members of the royal family. So we had all walks of life walk through the door. So I think that was a great unconscious lesson probably that you have two types of people, nice people and assholes. It doesn't matter how much money they've got, you know, that's, that's it. So um, I think that, that was a good lesson. Um, But yeah. And then I think, you know, out of that, just, I was never, never really taught anything mean either. So I wasn't told that, you know, I should, feel differently because someone's gay or different skin color or practices different religion so i think when you're raised just to see humans as humans um i think that we've all got that inherent kindness sadly just you know some of us are taught to to hate as we get older i think the best thing you can do for your kids is just you know educate them to think for themselves and and just teach them to be kind i think that just kind of stayed with me so it's what i you know as a uh, lifeguard when I was trying to be a fireman, um, then becoming a fireman. And then now too, it's just, you know, why would you, why would you want to see people suffering? You know, I, I think kindness feels good and being an asshole feels terrible. So just listen to your body. Yeah. Well said. That's a great soundbite right there. So, um, <laughs> so you, so being a firefighter was your dream job, right? That's what you desperately wanted to do. And you ended up doing, do you, do you now look at your, your job today, what you do today to fill your time as your dream job, or are you not quite there yet? Um, no, I do. I really do. Because the thing I think a lot of people will admit with firefighting, and I heard Andy Stumpf, who's a Navy SEAL, talking about this in the SEALs too. And he was spot on as far as my career, as far as the timeline. But he's, at about 10 years in, the, the newness wears off. You know, what would be an exciting fire when you're a rookie, you know, by the time you've got 10 years on, you, you're looking for, you know, a, a house 50% involved with people hanging out the windows for it to even get your heart rate up anymore. And that's not arrogance. It's just, it is what it is. You know, a small fire just doesn't, isn't that exciting anymore. You know, the, the, um, a lot of the incidents that we've been to, we've just, we've just seen over and over and over again, which is a good thing. That's where experience comes from. But with that becomes less excitement, less adrenaline, less, um, uh less newness for lack of a better word um and that the variety is what we all crave when we first start doing it so i would still be a fireman to this day you know that that desire to serve and desire to make the biggest impact i think is what drives me so as a lifeguard i used to stand there wishing someone would drown just so i could actually do something <laughs> so that's kind of the, the the thing and that's kind of how i felt in the fire station towards the end is we do run a lot of non-emergent calls in the fire service especially in the u.s and so you're waiting for those good ones and you don't want anyone to be hurt you don't want anyone's you know house to to burn but at the same time if it does happen you want to be there you want to be the one that's trained diligently and can affect a rescue but 
when some of the interviews I talk about the the uh, special operations community, there's a phrase they use called force multiplier. So the Green Berets, for example, they don't go and just grab a rifle and stand next to you know an army in a certain country and fight with them. They go and train an army and then they go take back their country. And that's kind of where I feel like I leveled up. I didn't I didn't level up in in the rank. You know, I didn't become an engineer or a chief or um, you know, any of those ranks, but I feel like the next step is with this project, if I can help, you know, thousands and thousands of people on planet earth who then are going to go and help thousands of people in their career, then effectively I've, I've helped a lot more people than if I just sit on the rig and run yet another call, you know, and, and defibrillate another patient, which is, you know, extremely rewarding, but it's still one person. So that, that was really, it was, it, I didn't expect to be, you know, retiring out so early, but I don't look at it as retiring. I look at it as leveling up. Um, I'm just not wearing the magic trousers anymore, but I can still put them on. I got a pair. <laughs> I'm sure you still got a pair hidden I away <laughs> for those special occasions. This has been great. I want to be respectful of time. So um, uh, just maybe one last question for me. Um, so you got, we talked a lot about the podcast and obviously your career as a firefighter and we talked about the book. What, what, what's next? What are you working on next? Just more episodes with the podcast. You got any fun projects on the go? Um, yeah. So the, the audio book is what I'm finishing up. Um, listening to myself narrate a book is one of the most painful experiences that I've ever been through. <laughs> so luckily I have some good people, you know, that are, are in Hollywood and, and such that have been, you know, uh, listening to it and giving me feedback, but, um, not that it's an acting piece, but just, you know, it's so hard to, to, critique your own your own right. voice and your own reading so that'll be the next thing get that out um early january hopefully and then um yeah obviously adding more value to the podcast i'm hoping 2021 we'll see a lot more travel so what one of my goals is to actually do classes with some of these people for example you know if it's a you know, member of uh special operations or law enforcement or you know um tactical medicine where I can actually go do their class and then we do a face-to-face -face interview obviously come to the UK I'd love to get you on mine as well so we need to reciprocate that'd be great um, but yeah so you know come work out with you um, just just do a little bit more hands-on I'm not looking to be a youtuber you know I'm not looking for a you know yeah. a video component because as you know the the podcast element takes up enough time but I think to add some some visual elements to it would be would be great as well but yeah, really, it's just about growth. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm just trying to spread the word. There's 400 incredible human beings on there that anyone with a Wi-Fi connection, you know, or an internet connection can access. So yeah. my goal is just to try and spread the word and get more amazing people that are going to change the world on. That's amazing. I, I must just comment on the audio book as well, because you said that that's kind of a labor of love having to, you know, edit your own audio book. And, I, and I, you know, that phrase people always say that, you know, they hate the, the sound of their own voice on, on video or audio. I, I now know that if you really hate the sound of your own voice, don't start a podcast because you spend no. hours listening to your own voice and it's painful. But um, <laughs> no, it sounds like you've got some good stuff there. And, and once, uh, once COVID, the dreaded COVID allows us to travel, uh, I'd love it if you could come over here. And, and one of the things that I'm, I'm working on for uh, a later season of 28 Summers is some campfire chat. So we'll get out on the hill somewhere, go and summit somewhere, and then maybe get a campfire on and, and have a chat. So I'd love it if you'd come back and we can keep talking. Absolutely, that's exactly it. You know, just adding that kind of human element to it now. I mean, right. 2020 has been busier than it's ever been for me. I've written a book and, you know, a lot of my interviews are over Skype anyway, so it wasn't really a, a change, but I think all of us are just craving human connection. And even at the moment, I just, I just went to a resort here in Florida by the beach just to, get my family away for a staycation because England shut down right when we were about to come over. Yeah. Um, but it was still wasn't the same, you know? So once we're, whatever it looks like, you know, the vaccine or whatever that, that kind of gets people out and about again, I think a lot of us are, you know, in dire need for some, you know, some nature and some human interaction. Yeah. Uh, perfect. Perfectly said what a way to bring it to an end. And, and I think, you know, irrespective of people's views on COVID and where they stand on the whole, uh, the whole fallout from COVID. I think a couple of the lessons that are clear is reminding us how much uh, human connection is important, like you said, and you know that nature fix, right? Just being outside and um, you know just just enjoying nature and making sure that you're 
you're really respectful and appreciative of the place where you are. I've talked on this podcast before about perhaps we've become a little bit um, desensitized to sense of place. You know, we just kind of, we, we spend time in places, but we don't really understand them. We don't really take the time to think about what happened before and how we're using them and our impact on that space and how that impacts you know, other nature. So, um, oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, look, it's been, it's been awesome. Thank you so much. It really is uh, a privilege. Maybe one last thing. Do you want to just let listeners know where they can find you on uh, online so they can follow you and have a listen to some of these great podcast episodes? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the, the podcast is Behind the Shield. Um, and you can find that if you Google it, you'll find it pretty much anywhere now. Um, but it's on Stitcher and iTunes and all the, you know, the go-to apps. Um, and then the book, One More Light, um, Life, Death, and Humanity and Through the Eyes of a Firefighter. I have problems even remembering my own book title. Um, that's on all the Amazons around the world. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, James. What a great story James has. His dream to become a firefighter seemed dashed at first, but he later found a way to land that dream job after moving to the US. I think what's most powerful to me about James is his drive to help others. This calling to service is powerful, and through his podcast and his book, he's shining a light on our first responders' lives around the world. He's had some incredible guests on the Behind the Shield podcast, and I highly recommend having a listen. I really enjoyed chatting with James and as a podcaster, I found it personally inspiring to see someone four years and 400 episodes down the line still bringing powerful messages to his listeners. Huge thanks to James for his time and the inspiration. As always, if you can find the time, please do follow me on Instagram at One Day Adventurer and let me know what adventures you're dreaming of for 2021. Please also click subscribe on the podcast and leave me a review if you can. It really helps so much in securing awesome guests for these interviews. And it makes sure you get to hear the next episode just as soon as it drops. In the meantime, stay happy, stay healthy, and remember to live life adventurously.